PGCE Research Bytes from the team behind Emma and Tom Talk Teaching. Hello and welcome to PGCE Research Bytes, a showcase for the very best student teacher research from the Cardiff Partnership for Initial Teacher Education. Today I'm joined by Ellis Seddon, who's a student teacher on our secondary religious education programme. Hi Ellis. Hi there, Thomas. Thanks for coming today. You've carried out a piece of literature-based research for your lead partnership school, who we can't name because of the terms of the ethical approval for the research project. Mm -hmm. But this school, um, they gave you a topic to look into because it's of interest to them for their own kind of school development. So what was that topic that the school gave you? So the topic was um, kind of split into three parts. They gave us a choice of either looking at vulnerable learners um, whatever that might be, whether it's ALNs or, or more able and talented, etc. Then they said we could do a study on blended learning, on how we might teach in a blended learning environment. Or the third option was to combine those two together. So how do you help um, specific categories of vulnerable learners within a blended learning environment? And given the time that we're in, for me, that was the one of most interest. So that's the one I punted for. So vulnerable learners in the blended environment. And did you need to yes. narrow that down at all any more to make it manageable? Did you come at it from a subject angle? Did you have to do anything with that topic once you'd picked option three from the hat? Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So we had to narrow it much further because obviously vulnerable learners is such a wide category. And we were recommended that we could narrow that down to a, a subject specific point of view, a religious education point of view in my perspective. In my work, in my literature review, after a lot of consideration, I actually didn't do that because going through the research, I felt like it was applicable from what I knew to a wide range of topics. So I didn't feel like bringing it down to a religious education perspective was gonna bring it, was gonna enhance it that much more. Um, but what I did do was narrow the vulnerable learning side of things down to ADHD specifically. And I did that, um, in all honesty, because I had an interest in learning more about ADHD. I really, I haven't worked with many students with ADHD. I didn't know too much about it. So I thought this was gonna be a prime opportunity within my assignment to try and understand ADHD a little bit more given that it's so prevalent and use it, mapping it onto that blended learning environment at the same time. Fascinating. Okay, so you'd got your choice of ADHD. Um, you justified your choice of looking beyond your subject area. So then you were able to go out and search for literature and you had to pick six sources that would kind of really help you get a handle on that topic area. So it might be a bit of a bit of a big question to ask, but can you talk us through the six sources that you ended up with and the sort of broad kind of sense of what they were saying? Yes, absolutely. So the one thing I should really mention first is that when I started this uh, literature review, trying to marry up or trying to find resources which spoke about ADHD within a blended learning environment, there was next to nothing, if not nothing at yeah. all. <laughs> um, and so <laughs> and, and it was a bit of a panic, a bit of a worry at the beginning, but I, I pushed through it. And what I decided to do in the end was focus on a selection of literature which focused on ADHD specifically, 
um, some literature which focused on blended learning specifically, and then I drew my own conclusions between those two, um, using a variety of websites and sources as well to try and, and match them up in a meaningful way. And I started by actually looking at the ADHD UK charity website, and there were some really interesting um, and quite alarming statistics on there. 89% of teachers teach or have taught students with ADHD, and yet 63% of teachers feel that their training and of understanding ADHD and supporting ADHD students is, is subpar, it's inadequate. Um, so that was quite an alarming statistic. So I started from there before I took a deep dive into more um, specific literature on ADHD and, and blended learning specifically. There was loads of resources when I looked at them separately, but I'll try and go through, I'll narrow my six down a little bit more. I'll just say first that I looked into these articles mainly online because of the situation that we're in. They were mainly um, searches either through Google or our, our learning platform at Cardiff Met. And I prioritised terms which, uh, articles which mentioned engagement, mentioned ADHD, um, additional learning leads, blended learning, online learning, hybrid learning, etc. And um, the scope for narrowing down those articles was quite slim because, as I've said, the amount of articles that looked at them together uh, there weren't many of them. So narrowing down was quite slim, but I prioritised any which kind of did mention ALNs and blended learning in one was, was the best, was the easiest way to get more of a focus. And my first article which I came across um, was by Halverson Graham, relatively recently in 2017, and it was titled Learner Engagement in a Blended Learning Environment and it was a conceptual framework and this what they did it had a huge scope through their research it had over a thousand articles chapters and other articles of engagement instruments of engagement and what they really, really interestingly came up with, they spoke about the inconsistencies of the term engagement itself, and then how that gets even more complicated when you transfer it into online learning. But they came up with indicators of engagement. And that was what was really fascinating about this article. We talk a lot in teaching about how can we how can we facilitate engagement? How can we increase engagement a little bit better? Their argument was actually before you do any of that, you need to know what the indicators are. When do you know when your students are engaged? Um, so that was what was really particularly interesting about this and why I recommended it to my lead partnership school. They came up with a whole framework. Within that, they had six indicators of cognitive engagement and seven indicators of emotional engagement, which I thought were of particular interest. But within the cognitive engagement, one was based on attention, which obviously I it pricked my ears up because or my eyes rather because it was specific to AD it can be specific to ADHD and what they aim to do is show you what the indicators of attention within it within cognitive engagement might, might look like and what you can do about it to understand it and enhance it a little bit more now within this article um, some of the things I thought were a little bit far-fetched Maybe, for example, under the intention indicator, they said about how you might want to track brain waves or eye movement. And it's like, mm, I'm not really sure that's going to be possible even for the most affluent of secondary schools around the country. But the understanding is there that you need to know when your students are engaged. You need to know the indicators first before you can change your teaching style to, to enhance that and facilitate it further. And um, so it was my suggestion that maybe we could look at 
the platforms that we're using, whether that's Microsoft Teams, whether that's Google Classrooms, try and see when they are most engaged, see what the data is like, really take a deep dive into that, to then understand how our students are engaged to take that forward. The second article, um, Morsink et al., again, it was a 2017 article, um, really interestingly was all about the motivations of ADHD students. So it, it was titled, What Motivates Individuals with ADHD? And it was a qualitative analysis, specifically from the adolescence point of view. So what they did, um, they hypothesized that there were qualitative differences between motivational attitudes between students with ADHD and their typically developing peers. And um, so they did this study, which was largely in a more clinical environment. And that was one of my um, concerns, I suppose, um, one of my, my hesitations about the article, because it, they were, the students were interviewed, sorry, the, the children were interviewed in a psychology clinic. There were seven authors, all of which were from a psychology background. So my argument was that if you brought in somebody from a different background, maybe the confidence in having no analysis or response bias you know we may have felt a little bit more confident if there was a different background in there but nevertheless it was still a valuable valuable research um what they found was that overall the motivational attitudes and this isn't just day-to-day -day life it's not necessarily at school the motivational attitudes between students with adhd and students with non-adhd um broadly are very very similar but there were just two very distinct differences, um, which were really interesting from an ADHD's perspective. The first one was that students with, with ADHD had a very specific aversion to the slow passing of time. So time going slowly was just an absolute no-no for them. They just couldn't stand it. And the second one was that students who didn't have ADHD also placed value in having familiar and predictable tasks. So tasks that they've done before, they know how they work, they know what's expected of them. That um, value did not appear in students with ADHD. They didn't see that as an important thing to have, that familiarity. It was all about variety, all about the variety of tasks. And whilst we have to know that motivation doesn't necessarily entail cognitive engagement because there could be other driving forces, there could be other things going on. Knowing the motivations of your students, I think once again, is really, really important in order to engage them, in order to hook them into your lesson, especially from a blended learning environment when we're more distant. And since as well, um, ADHD is, is known to be associated with having that sort of it, it was mentioned in an article, motivational dysfunction. I think dysfunction is quite a strong term, but it was considered a motivational dysfunction. But at the same time, other authors to be saying that motivation is necessary for student engagement. It really shows how we need to grasp onto those motivations for our students. And it was my opinion, that actually, I think that needs to come first before the previous article before Halverson and Graham knowing the indicators. So we need to know the motivations of our students first before we can really see the indicators of when they're engaged. And I think there would be a really good opportunity here, something which is happening in my first placement school, for the ALCO to have almost interviews with students. They, have, they did it for them when they first went to online learning. 
interviews of what drives them, what do they enjoy, what what really makes them want to click onto that lesson and, and get going with it. And I think having that interview and almost embedding those motivations within the personal education plans as part of the new ALM bill, I think that would be a really, really great way to get that personalised learning in there to understand our students a little bit more and to really drive them forward in terms of their engagement. Um, the third one, Gaudijon et al. in 2013, it was a slightly older article, uh, it was titled Self-Regulation Strategies to Support Children with ADHD to Overcome Symptom-Related Behaviour in the Classroom. Now, arguably, this one was a little bit um, more outdated, specifically because it was classroom-based and we're thinking about blended learning, um, but also because the study happened within an ADHD specialist school. It wasn't a mainstream school. Um, so there were concerns there, but the overall um, research, the overall opinion seemed to stand. And that was that we need to put more interventions in there to encourage the self-regulation of students because they are more ADHD students are more deficient in self-regulation so we need to put stuff in to actively help them with their self-regulation skills and their argument was that goal setting activities alone goal setting activities alone is insufficient um, for ADHD students to learn because they have those diminished self-regulatory competencies so you need to put something in the middle Rather than just setting a goal, you need to put something in the middle. And that middle is an if-then plan. So giving students these if-then plans or helping students to come up with those if-then plans themselves, for example, if X situation arises, then I will do Y, it helps the students, the students with ADHD, on their way to that goal realisation. Because we all know that along the way to a goal realisation, you have to resist temptations. And... The success of if-then plans really resides in the fact that it helps to help problematic situations more easily recognisable. So if they have this plan in place, and whether it's stuck to their computer or stuck to their desk or whatever it is, the fact that they've spoken about it, they've written it down, they've understood it, means that when that problematic situation arises, whether it's they get distracted or somebody talks to them, or whatever it is, it's easier for them to notice that that has happened because they have a plan in place about what to do if that happens and therefore it helps stimulate that impetus for the students to change their behaviour and get them back on track again. Um, my argument was that I think that sort of plan might be more suitable um, or maybe you could get more progressive, it can get a little bit better within the key stage four environment as students are beginning to undertake more independent work anyway on their learning journey towards GCSEs. Um, so giving them the capacity to have those if-then plans and help them work with them on their own might be better for key stage four, but there's no reason it couldn't be in key stage three as well. My fourth article um, was by AJ Martin, that was also in 2013. Um, and this was about improving the, improving the achievement, motivation and engagement of students with ADHD. Um, and this was really similar to the last article, actually, but they took a slightly different opinion. So the last article said about if-then plans, about how you need to step in the middle. 
this author doesn't really mention that, but he speaks about personal best goals, about using personal best goals to enhance engagement. And this was based on a previous study of the same author um, of 3,400 individuals where he was looking at the correlation between personal best goals and attainment. And what was really, really interesting from his study was that personal best goals seem to have a greater benefit, actually, for students with ADHD compared to students without. So that highlights um, a potential, um, a really exciting potential, um, for there to be opportunity to narrow the attainment gap of students with ADHD. You know, there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to achieve. Um, ADHD is nothing to do with intelligence. It's all about this self-regulatory behavior. So if they have these plans in place, um, you might be able to narrow the attainment gap a little bit more. My thinking, my thoughts, was that you should marry that with the previous author and maybe have an if-then plan on your way to personal best goals. So have the personal best goal there and have an if-then plan about how they're going to achieve that. Marry the two up and I think you've got a stronger argument rather than just having one or the other. The fifth one was the most recent article that there was, or it was a chapter of a book, actually, this one, by Driggs and Brillante in 2020. And their chapter was called Culture of Attention and Engagement. And it was actually from Doug Lemov's book, Training in an on -cl Online Classroom. I think it's um, teaching in the new normal. So this was written in the context of COVID-19 which made it really interesting, really relevant. And this whole chapter by Driggs and Brillante was focusing on engagement techniques specifically. Um, they spoke through loads of things, all of which are interesting. Um, there was a little bit of uh, caution to be said that the book itself doesn't actually explain how they selected, prioritised or deprioritised um, advice that they had been given from teachers in order to create these engagement techniques. Um, there was nothing on there about how they narrowed it down, what scope they used, etc. So that's not to say that the techniques and the advice that they suggest isn't helpful, just that it doesn't seem to be on face value, verified thoroughly. Um, but even so, it's definitely worth a read because there's loads of different things which we can put into our practice now as teachers teaching online. But two were really of interest for ADHD students. The first one was that actually this paper, this chapter, was the first one to acknowledge that distraction is inevitable. All of the other papers I read through which spoke about engagement didn't really acknowledge that, but they spoke about how distraction is inevitable. And maybe that's attributable to the other authors speaking prior to a global pandemic. But they basically said, except that it happens, there's always going to be that time when a text comes in or the dog barks or the doorbell rings, except that distraction is inevitable. After all, computers as well are, are a tool for distraction and procrastination, aren't they, for adults as well as students? Um, except that it happens, but have back on track activities. Make your classes online, if you're using Teams or Google Classrooms or PowerPoint, whatever it might be, make the instructions really, really, really clear about what they need to do and crucially about what they need to do if distraction happens and they need to get back on track. Just to really try and gauge those students back in and just accept the inevitability of, of distraction. Um, and the second one was about having offline time and Zoom fatigue. And, and this is really, really important for ADHD students who have a short attention span sitting on a computer for, for 
five hours, six hours a day, whatever it might be. I mean, it's hard for an adult, let alone a student going through key stage three, key stage four. Um, so perhaps consider having an intermittent school day um, so students can learn when they learn best. Or the intermittent school day, it can be about timing, it can also be about mediums. So rather than being just online, get them to actually write pen and paper in their books again, get them to do use colour in some way, um, get them to read a physical book, not online, an actual physical book where they can give their eyes a break, encourage them to go out on a, on a 10 minute walk, even midway through your lessons, if that is feasible, just to give them that break and to re-engage. So this chapter had some really insightful um, pieces of advice. I'd encourage everyone to read it, but it's, it's almost like a springboard for some cautious experimentation, um, because as I said, it's not all verified thoroughly, but there's some great things in there that we might be able to be experimenting with. And my, my sixth and my final um, piece of literature was by S. Cross, and this was again relatively recently in 2019, and it was titled Using VLEs, virtual learning environments, to offer higher education students choice and differentiation in learning activities. So this was the one article which I had which spoke about students of a higher age. So this was actually postgraduate students. But it was really interesting. It was UK based from the Open University. And the Open University used Moodle as their VLE environment. And that's what my lead partnership school currently uses as well. So it did make it really relevant. And what they wanted to do was to facilitate differentiation for postgraduate students, um, dependent on the relevant educational experience they'd had in the past. So you had two different work streams, for example. One assuming, I think they did it in um, statistics, if I remember rightly. Um, one work stream being if they had more experience in statistics and one work stream being if they'd had less and they needed a bit more of a catch up. So you could choose the two work streams. Crucially, the students could change their mind at any point. So if one was easier or one was too hard, they could just flick to the other work stream. Both of the work streams covered the same knowledge, the same material that they needed to get through but it was differentiated with different activities and different levels of support along the way. And the whole point of the Open University doing this was in recognition that there's increased expectations um, to have cost-effective but personalised learning experiences. And that really resonates, I think, with the new Welsh curriculum and what they're hoping to bring in, or, or they are bringing in, um, to begin officially in, in 2022, to have that personalised learning experiences, but also cost effective. Schools don't have loads of money, do they? So they need to try and use existing platforms that they have to increase the differentiation in any way that they can. When they did that, they found that 95% of the students, the postgraduate students, enjoyed the level of choice that they had, and 90% of the students um, believe that the work was more tailored to their needs. Um, so it's my thinking that perhaps in a blended learning environment in secondary schools that the VLEs we have might be underused. There might be opportunity to look into these work streams and specifically for ADHD students to set up a framework which has got really simple steps which might help with their organisational skills, um, a variety of created activities that helps them to work independently Obviously, um, this to me does seem like the more challenging piece of literature out of all six because it's going to need time, it's going to need investment, it's going to need consideration, a lot of it as well, to make these work streams really work. Uh, I think for the students as well, you could match the use of these VLEs with the if-then plans once again. So if 
I'm feeling this work stream is too easy, then I will switch to the other one. That's a very crude example, but it's possible. And once again, tying in all of these engagement pieces of literature together. Well, you get a very strong sense there from what you say of, of the huge amount of work that goes into doing these assignments. I mean, it's so far beyond just picking six sources and telling us what they say. You know, you've got to refine your topic area. And then, as you as you say, your six sources are never going to be a perfect fit for that topic area. So then you grab the bits of those sources that kind of fit, synthesize them together, mix them up. And then the next step is, is to work out what it means for your particular school. So there's a huge amount of work there. And then, of course... We asked you to go into school with a visual representation of what you'd found and, and present it to your school. So what did you say to them and how did that go? How was it received? Yeah, received really, really well. Um, what we did, because we were such a large group, we only had a, about I think five or seven minutes to speak over it all together. Um, so what I did, and it is quite clear on my poster, is just split it up between the context of the situation. So that was talking about the statistics from the ADHD charity, like I said earlier, and about why this is so important in a blended learning environment, the methodology that I did, an overall, just a brief bullet point of each of the author's findings. And then I think probably more importantly, as a quick overview, if this is going to be a poster on a wall, and the key themes, which was the focus on self-regulation, the fact that all of these um, pieces of advice within the literature seem to be generalizable across students, whether that's ADHD or non-ADHD, which is a massive plus. Um, and also, perhaps apart from the last one regarding VLEs, it's also low cost. There's stuff that we can put into our lessons straight away. So for the lead partnership school, the response was that they are massive bonuses essentially, because they're cost effective and they're, they're um, implementable. And my recommendations for the school was, firstly, understand the personal motivations of your students with ADHD, what gets them hooked, know what the unique indicators of student engagement are, look into your data to drive specific facilitative strategies for engaging students with ADHD. Use the if-then plans in conjunction with personal best goals to aid people's self-regulation capabilities. Embrace the inevitability of distraction in online learning and plan for back-on-track activities. And then to explore, if they can, a little bit further about the utilisation of these virtual learning environments, whether we can use them to make a more personalised work stream. And I think on the whole, it was received really, really well primarily because um, the majority of it is stuff which is implementable almost straight away. And for you, I mean, what, what were the next, what, what do you think of as the next steps for you, either in terms of research or in terms of teaching? Um, really good question. I think going forward, going into my second placement, I'm going to have a much greater awareness of the challenges that ADHD students have. As I said at the beginning, I didn't really know much at all. So this has been a really real eye opener. And I think I would always now, wherever I can, have that meeting with the ALNCO, if I can, to discuss uh, strategies that we can put in place, understandings that we can have, the motivations again of our ADHD students and how we as teachers can facilitate that a little bit further. Um, where I am in my point at the minute as a student teacher, I think those plus the if-then plans are going to be my key priorities. Um, but as heard, there's so much possibility going forward with the VLEs and with the data. 
and with the indicators of engagement as well. So that's all going to be of interest. But I think maybe that's a little bit further down the line. And for now, it's, it's, I'll be focusing personally on the motivational um, factors, those indicators and the if-then plans myself. Amazing. Huge amount to take away from that. Um, thank you so much, Alice, for joining us for this. That, that was really interesting. And um, the references for the, the six articles I will put in the show notes for this episode in case anyone wants to have a read. Um, but thank you very much and, and good luck with all of those things that you're taking forward. Thank you so much. That's really kind. PGCE Research Bites comes from the team behind Emma and Tom Talk Teaching and is presented this week by me, Tom Breeze. It showcases the best student-teacher research from the Cardiff Partnership for Initial Teacher Education. Thanks to Ellis Seddon from PGCE Secondary Religious Education who joined us today to share her research. Podcast artwork is by Beth Blanford and the music is by Cameron Stewart. We'll be back with a regular episode next week and PGCE Research Bites will be back in a fortnight. (laughs) 